0: This is the Hofstra Radio Audio Alumni Yearbook. Today is August 11th, 2020. Tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio.
1: Hi, my name is Dana Tomkowski, formerly Dana Bovey, and I was at WRHU at Hofstra from August of 1993 through May of 1997.
0: And what were some of the shows that you hosted or worked on while you were at Hofstra Radio?
1: First and foremost, my biggest show or the biggest one that I paid most attention to was Airwave because I was an uh, alternative metal girl. Um, I also did Soul and a Roll, uh, which I loved dearly. I hosted Jazz Cafe uh, for a bit here and there as a regular slot, and I also was the board op for Polka and Oberic Time with Basha, which I also enjoyed immensely.
0: Were there any other public affairs shows or weekend shows that you engineered or hosted?
1: I engineered as a sub here and there. I would fill in from time to time with uh, the Irish shows, both Pat and Tony. Um, I don't remember if I ever did anything for Irv, but I would always see him because he came or he was right before Basha and then Teddy Savalas came in right after her. So I got to spend some time with him, but usually it wasn't uh, to help them or work with them. Uh, and I also did, let's see. Uh, the classicals and stuff like that, but that was during the week, not on the weekend.
0: Okay. What were the uh, positions or uh, management positions that you might have held at the radio station?
1: I believe the first position I held as a title was traffic coordinator. And I'm probably miss saying exactly what the title was, but I scheduled the PSAs and when we were supposed to do the. Um, What are those tests called? Emergency broadcast systems, which I found out months after that I was supposed to be doing that the whole time. Oops. Uh, Doesn't seem like I ever got caught for not putting those on the schedule, but hey, I didn't know. Um, I was also the office manager at one point. I was airwave producer. I also did work on the morning show, not necessarily with a title, but I was part of uh, that loony crew for... A good couple of years as I don't, I don't even remember if I did the weather or something like that
0: um, that was a lot of fun. Who were the hosts when you were working on The Morning Show?
1: When I was with The Morning Show uh, there was a couple of rounds of hosts it was Dave Koenig and Butch D'Ambrosio uh, first and then after that um, Hotshot Brian Scott with Brian Gruby were also two of the hosts and I was uh, part of that as well and Don Dressler was there too at some point but my timeline gets a little bit screwy when i remember who came when and who left and when i came in more or less it was a zoo but it
0: was a lot of fun fair enough so thinking back to when you first joined the radio station is a multi-part question so the first part is what brought you to the radio station what initially drew you there and then when you got there physically in the space where was it? What was it like? Do you remember particular people being there? Do you remember an atmosphere? Do you remember smells? Do you remember <laughs> anything that in particular that was going on?
1: Well, first and foremost, every decision I made in regards to picking a college and location and all that had to was all based around what kind of radio station they had as an offering or in communications um, department. Um, when I was 13, I started obsessing about being on the radio just because I was a little pop girl calling the radio station and my favorite DJ all the time to request music that I would not listen to now necessarily, and then my favorite DJ at the time on WPLJ would air uh, our little phone conversations here and there, and he gave me a nickname, so I was really... Um, enthralled with the magic of radio and that reignited a flame that I first had back when I was I want to say four years old when I had a major crush on uh, Dr. Johnny Fever and I wanted to be him desperately from WKRP. So that was my reason for choosing Hofstra because I had good access to Manhattan and I wanted to be at NYU but I wasn't uh, accepted to their four-year program, but I could have gone to the two-year program, which might as well just go to Nassau Community College. Anyway, so Hofstra was there, and I uh, I did like what I saw about it, so I was really happy to go there. Um, and I remember the summer before co- uh, my college year would have started, there was, I forget what they called it, it was an overnight, I guess an orientation of sorts for the incoming freshmen, and I was walking around one part of the campus, I want to say it was on the dorm side and I see these two people with smiles and flyers in their hands. And I was just like, "Oh, there's older people here. I'm going to go talk to them. And it was Jen Murphy and Dave Koenig. And they had flyers for the radio station saying, Hey, if you're interested, if you want to come by. And I was tr- trying so hard not to be directly up their behinds with excitement, but I, that was exactly what I wanted to see so badly. So I was really excited to meet two people from there. I was totally, uh, fangirling or whatever the term would be, which I'm too old to use that term anyway now. Um, Yeah. So then my first time actually going to the radio station, I remember it was in Memorial Hall, so I knew there was bits and bytes, and I walked downstairs totally excited, totally nervous, and I believe the first people I met were in the music office at the time, and it was uh, Todd Packer and Mark Giordano. And they were just sitting there all nice and cool with their feet up, the door was plastered with stickers there were cds all over the place and records and i immediately thought oh my goodness i'm home yay it had like a dinginess to it there were definitely plenty of smells in those hallways uh but i liked that it wasn't um it was as cool as i thought it would be it was exactly like the image that i would uh i gave myself as a little teeny girl uh so yeah it was really exciting and now i forgot the next part of your question <laughs>
0: Well, no, I think, I think you answered all of it. It was, you know, what first brought you to the station? And then the first time that you went down there, what was it like? Who was there? What was going on? So Mm -hmm. I think you covered all of it. Okay. So from there, from meeting these people, you probably signed up for announcing classes and engineering classes. Do you have any memories uh, from those classes or from training or things that you internalized or, or hung on to or any funny stories from that?
1: Yeah, there's a, I mostly remember, wow, let's see if I can speak. I remember my freshman year taking uh, whatever the intro to engineering class was, um, and we all received this tiny little reel that we had to do for homework, was uh, set it up, listen to it, and uh, do the appropriate edits that were given. And I remember there was, uh, it might have been Jeff's voice counting down? Uh, numbers. Were, yeah. Yes. Um, I want to say that's who it was and it was counting down backwards and I think numbers were out of order or something like that. So we had to have it paced correctly um, and take out any mistakes. And I remember how exciting it was to get a really nice, clean razor blade and a new grease pencil and I couldn't wait, but I was so nervous to make the first slice Uh, And then I got really into it from there, but I remember just not wanting to make a mistake. And for so long after that, and I don't know why I beat myself, I I was beating myself about this in the past, listening to it right before one of the numbers uh, and whatever was counting down, I could have sworn I heard two inhales, like... And I was like, nah, nah, I'll leave that. I'm sure that's not something I'm supposed to take out. And I left it there and I got it wrong because I was supposed to take it out. And I was so mad that I didn't do that because I knew I should have. And I wanted to, but I didn't want to screw up the tape. So that's something that I remember thinking of back then, as silly as it was.
0: I I, I can relate. Um, do you remember who taught that engineering class?
1: I want to say it was Sue Zizza, but I'm not sure if I'm wrong with that.
0: Do you remember anything about your announcing class?
1: The audio announcing, I feel like I didn't take freshman year. The one class, and I feel like my memory of my college classes are so vague uh, compared to my memory of just spending time at the station. That probably says something to how my grades ended up being my first year. Um, But I wish I knew the teacher's name. He was so lovely. He was way older uh, he cracked a lot of jokes. Um, and I'm not even sure if that was the beginning announcing class. It must not have been, cause I feel like I took it junior year or something, which wouldn't have made sense. So my, my memories are very vague with that class.
0: Okay. Um, do you recall your first time, uh, being live on the air on WRA2, either, uh, as an announcer or as an engineer or both?
1: My first time being on air is one of the more embarrassing moments of my life because I could not wait after so many years of being a DJ. Uh, I remember being so nervous. I was thrown on the air because of some meeting that uh, Brian, you as the station manager, had, and the whole the main people that were in charge had to be somewhere. so I was sort of rushed through any real training. And I signed something as if I took a test and I was put on air. And Frick, is that his name? Yes. Yes. He was my uh, engineer. So I was sitting in the studio. I couldn't wait to use my voice and record it and have it be my first moment ever as a DJ. And it was during, um, oh my goodness, what was the classic rock show called?
0: At that time, it probably would have been the Rock and Roll Oasis. Yes.
1: Thank you. I don't know why that slipped my brain for a second. So, yes, it was during one of those uh, shifts. Uh, (laughs) Oh, and I also, if I can backtrack for a moment, one of the first people I met and became friendly with was Beaker. And every time I introduced myself to someone new at the station, I had to say, my name is Dana, which is not a normally pronounced way of saying D-A-N-A. And he said, Dana, you mean like yogurt? no like d-a-n-a and he was like oh, okay and then he started calling me the yogurt gal that ended up being my radio name uh for mm-hmm. my time at w-r-h-u so my first time on air rock and roll oasis the on-air light goes on and i was so excited to come out of the song and the thing that actually came out of my mouth was that was cleeden's Clearwater water revival and i said it wrong and i looked across the glass and frick just put his head down like uh Oh no. And I don't, I can't even remember what song it was. I just remember it was them because I butchered their name and I was really embarrassed uh, and humbled by that moment because I felt like I was working up to it for so many years. Uh, So yeah, that's my funny story for the first time I spoke on air. I was always nervous engineering when I first started. I never wanted to mess up a segue. I really loved hitting the post. So I remember my hands would get cramped as they hovered over the different um, pots all these words that I haven't used in so long. Mm-hmm. Um, but that got to be something that I really enjoy doing. And even when I left college and went on to, or I was still in college actually, but working at a, um, an FM radio station, um, they always chose me when they needed someone to board up because I was really good at doing the manual segues as it was at the time. So I always got, I was always proud of myself if I hit a post real well. <laughs> the things that we dork out on.
0: <laughs> so other than, Speaker and John, and you mentioned Jen Murphy and uh, Dave Koenig. Were there other people who were helpful, who were uh, encouraging in those early days, people that you said, I want to do like that? Or were there instances where you said, I, I don't want to do it that way?
1: Hmm. I'm sure there are negative things, but I don't tend to dwell on those. I found I that I was extremely lucky to come in when I did Uh, Because at that time, there wasn't a lot of uh, adult supervision. (laughs) Sorry, I went over that weird. Adult supervision wasn't really there when I started. So it definitely had the feel of um, just a band of people that really loved doing what we do. And we kind of made it work together with this little thing that we had to play with. Um, And I, I really... I felt like the ones that were there really thrived, even if it was a small group and not as many people came in at the time. um, I was welcomed with open arms and I came from high school and my journey through high school and junior high, I was such a big dork and I still am, obviously. I know I'm opening myself up for a jab there. Uh, But to go into a space and not have any of my old hangups kind of with me and I wasn't judged immediately as a monkey's fan or whatever the hell it was that people wanted to pick on me about. Um, and I, I felt like I belonged there and I always really appreciated that from even the seniors like yourself and Brett Dion and uh, then Will was there and I was totally afraid of Will initially. And I went to uh, watch him do a shift just to kind of get some experience with uh, seeing how things ran. I didn't want to speak. I didn't want to piss him off because I thought he was going to bite me or something. And he still makes fun of me to this day about that. Uh, but yeah, everyone I thought was so encouraging for the, on the student side, especially because they're, they're the ones that I came to be close to. Um, and I, I felt like because of all of you there and the tightness bond that you all had with one another, it made me feel like I was supported by a, a family a, as well. Then everyone had a different way of doing things and a different, some very eccentric personalities and characters, but it, I, I did feel very, um, Like, I could be myself, and that actually made it a lot better, too, once I was doing stuff in the studio and on air. I don't know if I could pick one person in particular that was, like, a mentor or anything. But I came pretty friendly with a lot of you guys pretty quickly. And then my first real boyfriend was from the radio station, too. And he was a senior, and he was very supportive, too, as well, and helped with his knowledge that he had and his experience there as well. So that was, you know, nice, too.
0: So you mentioned student support and, and a lot of the, the your peers uh, as students is, is helping. And, and I, I just wondered were there administrative people were there uh, quote unquote adults uh, who were around the radio station who were helpful, or was it primarily, as you said, being run by students at that time?
1: It, there definitely were adults there. Sue Zizza was there and she was always great uh, obviously. Um, because she had such a wealth of knowledge to tap into as well. And that I utilized and benefited from throughout my whole time at Hofstra, really. Um, Some of the uh, more adult staff that I didn't have as much contact with, like uh, there was the classical director, uh, Rich Berger. Um, Yeah, I would see him and stuff, but I didn't have much of a reason to interact with him in that way to gain something from as far as um, learning necessarily, I guess, at least in my memory, I don't. and also the, uh, Dave Mock, the news director, was just, I, I, he was such a delight because he was so passionate about what he did. And I loved seeing anyone doing anything that they did in any realm of the radio station to do it because they loved it and we weren't getting paid or anything like that. But it was just something that we all had in our soul that we kind of had to be there. And I do remember um, when uh, Richard Nixon passed away if I'm remembering this correctly, I was the one on air when that came over the AP wire and I went on air and I announced it and he <laughs> called into the station to say, I did a really good job with that. And it made me feel so proud that he thought I did a good job with reporting that news.
0: Wow. I didn't, I didn't know that, or I didn't recall that. Um, I guess that, that sort of leads into my next question and you've, you've already answered this to an extent, but the the next thought is when did you feel comfortable? When did you feel at home? Was there an incident? I mean, that the, the story about Dave calling in about the Nixon story sort of fits into this, I think. But can you re- remember an incident or a time or a moment when you thought, oh yeah, I'm real comfortable. I feel like I belong here. Or or, or a range of time when that would have happened.
1: I, I will have to say that the whole crew of you made me feel really comfortable pretty straight off the bat as far as um, being a part of the community that it was and the family. Um, When I went on air fairly soon after joining because of whatever not process was being followed, I guess. Uh, And my first shift that I had was Friday from 1 to 3 a.m., which the idea of doing that now hurts my heart, but (laughs) I just can't wake up or be up that at that time anymore. Not like I used to, but I did find comfort in the fact that it was that late. So I felt like if I wasn't the best, then it's going to be okay. Cause who's hearing me so much right now? Um, I don't know if I have one standout moment where I felt like I got this, but I'm like that in general, even now in my, uh, adult life. And Being a a yoga teacher now is totally unrelated to a point, though. I will say I still put on my little programming hat when I make my playlist. And I do think about segues and crap like that. But that's besides the point. Um, I always had the mindset and i still have the mindset of wanting to be a student so i never wanted to feel like i was the best i could be because then i felt like there was no room to grow and i still feel that way now so i will probably say i second guess myself every step of the way to make sure that i'm always looking for a a way to get better at whatever i'm
0: doing so i guess let me turn it into this you're doing friday nights (laughs) airwave one to three and you're relatively new on air you've gotten through the first few hiccups but then you say about now about how you think about programming a flow of music or how you want to present information. Was there a point where you're like, I've got this, or, or what, did it take a semester, a couple of semesters, or was it pretty early on that you felt, oh, okay, I know what's in my head and how I want to make it go out over the airwaves.
1: Um, I would probably say I was more comfortable I would have to say it had to be after my first year, even if there isn't a concrete memory in my mind, because I do remember early on, I wasn't necessarily in charge of anything and I didn't want to play the wrong music that would upset the current producer and to make sure I was staying hip enough and not popular singles enough or whatever it was, um, and trying to just to get my head in the game with uh, learning more of the music that was uh, more underground too, which I wasn't exposed to prior to being in college, uh, at least minimally. I knew it was on WDRE because that was my favorite station, but that was still more on the um, popular stuff. Um, so I, I would probably say sophomore year. Uh, I don't remember when I first became the Airwave producer. It might have been, it, ha- it was probably sometime sophomore year. I think I was 19. Um and I, I felt like at the time we were getting a lot of good feedback from listeners, and that always helps too to get anything uh, back, to hear back, just to know that your whatever we're putting out there on the air was being received well and liked. So I, one point, I don't remember if it was sophomore or junior year, I used to do my show. I don't, I think it was still Friday night, but it was the earlier one, and Brian Gruby was with me, and we would get like 25 calls every week. And that wasn't Mm. like that prior to that. And it was nice to have a little bit of a following of sorts. And I had a ton of regular callers and stuff. Uh, But it was nice to that kind of feedback, just hearing that what I'm putting out there is not just for me to kind of jerk off in the studio with something that I really like. But it was actually stuff that people responded to that that made a difference.
0: So. Most of this conversation is us looking backwards and thinking about, you know, what we went through and how we felt at particular times. And this might be a little hard to do or maybe not. Um, but can you put yourself in your shoes as an incoming freshman after? And this could be the conversation that you had with with Jen and Dave getting that flyer could be, you know, as you're mm-hmm. planning on joining. But what did you think WRHU h two would mean to you then as an 18 year old, can you, can you separate, you know, what you know now as mm-hmm. an adult versus what you were thinking at the time, what did you think you were going to get out of being at Hofstra radio?
1: I actually do remember those feelings pretty clearly. I was, uh, wanting to be part of a radio world for, you know, like I mentioned so many years prior being 13 and onward, it was the only thing I thought about as far as a career, uh, so for me, the nerves and excitement was to what I hoped to get out of it, uh, from the college experience and more so the radio station experience was, um, a stepping stone to give me the experience and practice to hopefully take myself to, um, FM radio and something, uh, something as a profession in that field. Uh, and I did for a little bit, but though I was still in college, I got a taste of it. And then I later realized that I wanted more out of any sort of music industry type of job, because it is a very different experience when you are in a professional market and how much time you get to talk and actually be a personality, depending on the show you're doing and all that. Uh, But my going into the station was just to, uh, I wanted to be a part of the magic that I would listen to as a kid as a teenager because radio was always huge in my house uh and whether it was in the car with or with my family or then just on my own listening to the stuff that I liked it I was I loved all aspects of it um so yeah I, I would I would say I went I wanted to be a part of putting people on the air CDs records whatever it was at the time uh and being a part of uh, having artists and bands being discovered because it was something that I found or something that I mm-hmm. supported or would play, uh, something of, just a part of the whole music process that uh, what made things popular, what made things sell records. I, I wanted to be part of that magic.
0: Mm. I, I, ordinarily I wouldn't go back this far, but you mentioned it before and it, and it stuck in my head. You said you uh, you first your first big taste of radio you were, you were listening to, I think it was WPLJ or, and you would call in, can you connect back to that as well? Do you, do you think when you were starting at Hofstra radio, was that experience in your mind where you kind of connecting that again with that hope of what, what would become, or was that, is that a separate thought?
1: You know a, what? Well, I, I as much as I loved it as a kid, I'll call myself um, talking to the DJs and some of them, they were so nice to speak to me because I would call all the damn time. And if I when I think about that, it's absolutely mortifying how much I bothered these poor gentlemen. Uh, but they were so nice to be as supportive as they were. And my favorite DJ that I would speak to daily uh, would give me pointers on what I should do, how I should go about things, uh, what I should practice. And I I thought that was so sweet of an adult person to do with a kid, uh, whether they knew how old I was or not, I have no idea. Um, it's And it's funny because when I finally went to the station, I did not have it in my head that I was going to be the DJ that kid was going to call and admire. I never thought about it like that necessarily. I just thought what they did was so damn cool. I wanted to touch the equipment. I remember the smell of a Sears catalog when I would flip through all the electronics. So I just wanted to have that stuff in my uh, possession as weird as that sounds. And I remember I received my first CD player. Uh, I don't even think it was, it probably wasn't even a five disc change or anything. I was a, a freshman in high school and my parents got me a first thing I could play a CD on and it came with a microphone and a Jack and with the two um, cassettes on the bottom. So I was able to record myself. So I used to make fake uh, like DJ shifts just with music that I had and trying to, I couldn't really overlap it cause there was no splicing with the cassette, but I would record myself doing either a morning show or a weather thing or just DJing music and announcing uh, bands and stuff and, even try to add like little sound effects and stuff like that. I would really dork out like a mofo as a kid. So to have the tools and technology to actually make it sound the way it's supposed to sound. I really loved that. I loved editing. I loved um, trying to be creative and it, yeah, it really fed my soul for a long time.
0: Yeah. So you had this idea building up in your head and then at the moment that you came in, there were many opportunities to, to jump in. So that must've been a really nice feeling to be able to, to actualize what had been in your mind.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. The first time I walked into the actual studio, besides having to walk past the men's room, it was very exciting because that smell just whatever the hell that was all the time. But going into the main studio, I love that it was kind of dark, uh, I liked that it was gritty and just to see the board and see the glass and see the microphone hanging and all the buttons and uh, all the records that were surrounding us and the CDs and all that, the excitement, I don't really have words to express how cool I thought it was because I just, I couldn't wait to get my hands on everything once I was allowed to and once anyone thought I was good enough to do so, I didn't want to let anyone down.
0: That's the way you talk about the studio is, is the way that I remember going in there and always feeling the sense of excitement. Like, wow, I get to play with this. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is, this is cool. Like they're going to find out I'm not supposed to be here and they're going to take this away from me. So I better enjoy it at the time. Was there anything else about maybe sitting in the chair behind the board or, or being there that, that brings back an evocative memory?
1: So many things, really, when I think about being in the room, especially if the door was shut and I can I almost feel like I remember the almost non-existent sound of the on-air light being clicked on when you turned on the mic. There was something different Mm -hmm. in the tone of the air or something like that. It uh, the excitement, it never left, even if I was filling in for a shift and I was really tired or it wasn't my favorite music or whatever it was, it never wasn't a, a huge deal for me. Uh, I always thought, yeah, there was always something special about it. And I think when I when I picture, especially the Memorial uh, Hall studio, um, I have a lot of memories of the Stallion, Mark Giordano there. Uh, we co-hosted Airwave a couple of times, I want to say, or he was before me, so we just would be on the air together. Uh, and we had a lot of really ridiculous conversations on air that ended up being really funny and uh, him talking about being a – I don't even know, like a small little uh, filly or whatever he called himself. And I said something really inappropriate about what yogurt used to be. And I, I'm sure something about a yeast infection came up. I don't know. But we made ourselves laugh really damn hard, whatever the hell the context was. Um, yeah, <laughs> maybe I should pause. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Dana, this was this was really a lot of fun, and and it was really great to hear your story. Uh, thank you very much. Let's let's do this again sometime.
1: I would love to, Brian. Thank you very much for having me.